like reflect the work of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. Um, James 2 says, uh, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Uh, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you faith by my works. And as such, uh, we believe that one of the best ways to glorify Christ um, is by demonstrating practical and visible uh, expressions of a, of a transformed life. Um, and therefore, uh, if the fruit of the Spirit entails uh, different characteristics um, that were all embodied in the personhood of Christ, uh, and if this is how the Spirit glorifies the Son, then uh, we likewise ought to glorify Christ in the same manner. And so each week we've just been uh, walking through these characteristics and uh, seeing how um, we might put them into practice. Uh, and so my desire tonight specifically uh, is to look at the goodness of Jesus um, and, and um, Lord willing, have our hearts be, be softened to him and, and emboldened to act for him, um, to, to honor him. And uh, if you are here and you are an unbeliever, um, I pray that the Spirit would use this time to um, expose uh, your need for a Savior and that, that his goodness is what would draw you near to himself. Um, so, uh, with that, we'll begin. What is goodness? Um, Gerald Bray, in his Attributes of God, uh, highlights a distinction between uh, two types of goodness uh, as seen in the Bible. The first is a physical goodness. Um, we see this in Genesis 1, where uh, God paused at the end of each day, um, surveying all that he had done for that day and saying, uh, it is very good. Um, and God was happy with what he had made. The second time, uh, the second type, and the, and the type that we'll be focusing on tonight is moral goodness. Um, and this sense of goodness is one that is opposed to evil, right? And we already believe this to be true of, of God, but Bray says this. He says, the moral distinction or the moral dimension of goodness is more immediately relevant to our concerns. Christians naturally believe that God is morally good, just as he is perfect in his being. But what does this mean? This is going to be a long quote, so bear with me. He says, God cannot sin because sin is disobedience to his will, and he cannot disobey himself. Even if he chooses to do something that is forbidden to us, like strike people dead, he is still good because he is acting in accordance with his will. Therefore, he says, we are meant to think of good as what God wants us to do. So, uh, uh, not, not what... Not what he does himself, but does not intend for us to replicate. So, for example, it says, God could destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their immorality, but that is not a license for us to take the law into our own hands and attack uh, places or people that we think are just as bad. And he goes on to state that the goodness of an act, this is important, the goodness of an act is measured by the degree to which it corresponds to the will of God. I'll read that again. The goodness of an act is measured by the degree to which it corresponds to the will of God. And he says, this is where holiness intersects with righteousness. Holiness describes what we are in the sight of God as his children. We have been adopted into his family, set apart from the world, and equipped to live in a way that pleases him. Righteousness describes how this works out in practice. So God is perceived to be righteous because of the way he acts, and the same is true of us. So what we ought to do, or what we do, ought to conform to what God expects from us, but we can only act within the limits of our finite capacity. And this is how uh, I'll, I'll relate this to Christ. He says, 
It is for this reason more than any other that no temporal act on our part can earn us eternal salvation. It is not the content or quality of what we do that counts us as righteous, but placing our faith in the content and quality of who Christ is and what he has done. Goodness is the term that describes what happens when a holy person acts in a righteous way. And lastly, he says, in God, there is no question about this. He cannot do otherwise. But human beings are good only insofar as our humble obedience to God's will leads us to act accordingly. This is possible by the guidance and strength imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, goodness is not ours at all, but the reflection of God's work in us. Holiness, righteousness, and goodness are not abstract qualities that belong to God and are somehow measured out to us according to our capacity to receive them. Rather, they describe different aspects of our relationship to him as believers. Holiness, holiness speaks of our status as children of God, righteousness of our faithful obedience to his commandments, and goodness of the results that flow from congruity between who we are and what we do. End quote. There's a lot. Um, but it's important because this is the foundation for, for where we'll be going tonight uh, and really the main, the main thesis for uh, the entire sermon. Um, and so um, before we get to uh, the first point, there's a couple things that I also want to emphasize. Um, so goodness is an attribute of God because of his infinite ability, uh, or, uh, because, of, because of, rather, well, excuse me, Goodness, yeah, is an attribute of God because of, his, because of his inability to disobey his own will. His will is good, and therefore, obedience to his will is good, and he cannot act outside of it. And although, um, and, and Galatians 5 lists goodness as a fruit of the Spirit, and in continuing to operate off of the basis that all these are, uh, are characteristics of Jesus, um, then what I want us to see is that although Jesus is fully God and fully man, it is insufficient to argue that Jesus was not capable of disobedience because doing so undermines the fact that he was fully man, right? Like fully God, fully man, two natures. Um, and, and in that, he was tested in every single way as we were and, and tried in every way that we are. Um, and so what we're going to do tonight is look at Jesus' obedience to the will of God as the essential foundation for his goodness, and then we'll shift to look at uh, the implication that this carries for us um, as followers of Christ. Um, and so, um, so with that said, uh, I'll go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer. Um, Father God, we, we love you and we praise you, uh, and we thank you for your word. Uh, uh, we thank you for the ability to know you, to, um, to see and study your attributes and, and the way that we might bring glory and honor to your name. And Lord, I pray that, um, through this, through this series, um, through a continued study on the fruit of the Spirit, that uh, you would continue to impart wisdom to us, um, that you would continue to sanctify us, and that you would um, give us ears that listen and hearts that want to learn. Would you uh, allow humility to characterize our lives? Um, God, we, we love you, and, and, um, and, and we want to know you, and, and we want to see you revered. Uh, we want to see the lost saved, and so I pray that, um, that this study, um, that, that this series will uh, help us with that. Answer uh, your name, we pray. Um, so, first point, God's will for Jesus. God's will for Jesus. Uh, and if you will, go ahead and flip to John six thirty eight. 
And as you are flipping, uh, I will go ahead and say uh, that in, in preparing for this, the only way that I knew how uh, knew to distinguish goodness from kindness uh, with the help of Kevin uh, was to differentiate kindness as acting rightly, right? So last week when Kevin was teaching on this, he uh, used the, the golden rule, uh, do unto others as you wish them to do unto you, um, uh, and, and you do unto them also. Uh, and so this means loving and serving others in their times of need as you would like to be served and loved in your time of need. And goodness, uh, to, to contrast, um, is a little bit different, right? Like it's, it's deeper than that. Um, it is conforming to and obeying the will of God, as Gerald Bray says. And so um, this week is no different than any other uh, in the sense that there will, uh, there will be some, some slight overlaps and nuances uh, between uh, kindness and goodness, um, and then next week with gentleness. Um, but, okay, hopefully uh, if you're there, uh, John 6:38 says, um, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So, in this verse, Jesus came, again, very simple, not to do his will, but the will of he who sent him, namely the Father, God the Father. And this is where we will establish um, our um, congruity, as Bray said, for the night. So, Jesus came to do the Father's will, and when he says this, he is not saying it from his position as God, but rather from his position as man, um, and this is important because defining goodness as obedience to the will of God means that, um, means that we are doing something for God, right? Like, like any time I act in accordance with a will, I, I am, I'm doing something for God, no matter how hard or challenging it may be. Um, and, and we do this unless we, we want to live in disobedience. Um, and so to continue to play this out, um, you don't have to flip there, um, but in Acts 10, verse 38, Acts 10, verse 38, Luke, is, um, Luke wrote Acts, uh, but Peter's speaking in this specific section, uh, and he's witnessing to the Gentiles, and uh, in testifying of Christ, Peter is recorded as saying, um, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He, he being Jesus, um, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So Jesus didn't merely just claim to do the will of God. And, and, like, and, and this claim wasn't just passive or abstract, right? But like, he, he actively fulfilled this claim, uh, and, and he did so with actions. God anointed him, Jesus obeyed, and he carried it out. Uh, and, and in the words of Peter, went about doing good. Uh, and of course, like as we know, did so even unto the point of his death and, and, and suffering crucifixion on the cross. And so the question that should naturally follow this is, well, what then is God's will for Jesus that he should meet such a fate as suffering, um, as suffering the crucifixion? Um, and as we'll later look at, uh, what does this mean for us? Um, so during his years of ministry, uh, Jesus covered a lot of ground. He did a lot of things. He uh, healed the blind. He made the lame walk. He uh, cleansed the lepers. He befriended the outcast. He raised the dead. But most importantly, he saved the sinner, right? Like Jesus saved uh, the, the sinner. He came to restore what was broken. Um, and so now, if you will actually flip with me to Titus 3, um, this is where we will be for 
um, uh, a pretty good bit. Um, if you're not sure where Titus is, it's right after Second Timothy. Uh, feel free to use your uh, index if you need to. Um, no shame in that. I had to do it the other day. Um, but yeah, Titus chapter 3. And we'll look at verses 3 through 7. It reads, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, uh, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, the Christian God, the, the God of the Bible, is one who is relational, Right, like he is, uh, he is the one who who created us, um, and and he did the, uh, he created us for his own pleasure, um, so that we may know him and that he may know us. Um, but uh, when we sinned, uh, when when the fall, uh, when sin entered into the world through Adam, we were separated from him. So. Um, so we'll establish that first. But because we are created in the image of God, then the nature and attributes of God are a part of us. Uh, and, and knowing that God loves those whom he created, which is all of us, then we best uh, know and understand the love of God uh, through, through his act of sending his son, through the act of sending Jesus uh, into the world that we might live through him, forgiven of our sins and saved from his wrath, which is necessary uh, because uh, without wrath and punishing sin, we would never know the riches of his mercy. Uh, and we would never have known the, the, the great gift of grace uh, if we never had a need for it. Um, and so, so to answer the question, like, what was the will of God for Jesus? It was to save you and me. Um, so, um, verse 3. Uh, verse 3 says, to look at it a little bit uh, deeper. Verse 3 says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and loving one another. Uh, or in other words, like we were dead in our trespasses. Like we were dead men walking. And if there was any hope of God ever dwelling with man again, as he initially intended to, going back to Genesis 1 with the Garden of Eden, then we need a mediator. Like we are, we are in desperate need of that. Like something... Something needs to satisfy uh, the wrath of God in our place. Uh, and the way that Hebrews 5 says it, or excuse me, Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10, says, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In bird offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And when he said, You have not... A, Speaking of Jesus, when he said, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings, then added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, referring to the old covenant, in order to establish the second, referring to the new covenant. And this is what I want us to hear. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And so to continue building on the idea that goodness is obeying God's will and therefore acting in accordance with that will, uh, look with me in verse 4. What does Paul say here? He says, The thing that saves the sinner is the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. How? When he appeared. When the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, he saved us. So therefore, if Christ had been disobedient in choosing not to do the will of God, um, then, then we would still be under the legal, de- uh, under the legal um, demands of, of the Old Covenant and without the once and for all uh, substitution, penal substitution that places us in a righteous standing uh, before the Lord. And this is right in line with John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what else? And we know that the will of God to send, um, or, and we know that it was the will of God to send his son to die in our place. Um, but, but why does this matter? Um, like why, why, did, why, did this, why did this happen? Why does this have to happen? Like what, what does this mean for us? Um, Jesus' obedience to the Father's will, um, like by this, by, by Jesus perfectly abiding by the Father's will. Not only are we saved from our sin, uh, but if you continue on looking in, in Titus, uh, Titus 3, uh, we are now able to be cleansed from our unrighteousness by a new birth, and our souls are actively being transformed and renovated into an unveiled reflection of the divine. Right? Like, um, verse 5, He saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Um, so, so, again, why did he do this? Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, and... Um, yeah, so, so Jesus did these things out of a love for the Father, um, and, and he did exactly as he commanded. And so in living among us, in healing and teaching and saving, Christ perfectly displayed the heart of the Father for his created beings to show that the fulfillment that we look for is not in anything in, that this world can satisfy, but that our ultimate fulfillment is also found in the one who gave us the very breath inside our lungs. So Jesus came to be the hands and feet of God, uh, and it was his complete and full obedience to that will that allowed him that privilege. And so where I'm going with that, uh, where I'm going with that is that the goodness of Jesus establishes a very important precedence. Right? Like when Jesus followed God's will, not only did we receive the benefit of being made right with God, but he also set an example for us to follow. Being created in the image of God means that the soul, that the human soul is intrinsically valuable. And therefore, it is, it is absolutely worth preserving. But the only way to preserve our souls, the only way to preserve the human, the, the human soul, um, is by faith in Christ. And so, God has ordained that we be the chosen vessels through which the gospel is proclaimed. Right? Like Romans 10. How then are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Faith comes from hearing, and therefore, just as the Father orchestrated the fulfillment of his will through Jesus Christ, his will for the world goes forward when we also abide by his will for us. 
And so this doesn't mean that, that God needs to, that he needs us to accomplish his will, but it does mean that this is just how he desires to do it. Like, this is, this is the trend of Scripture. Um, and, and to relate it back to the fruit of the Spirit, goodness can only be rightly exemplified in us when our righteousness properly aligns with our holiness in its corresponding to the will of God. And this will be our second point. So, God's will for believers. God's will for the believers. Now, if the believer is to reflect the same goodness as seen in Jesus, and this goodness is entirely contingent upon following God's will for our lives, uh, then we must also know what God's will for our lives is. Um, like, like, we have to know what, what he has willed for our lives. If the believer has any chance of pursuing goodness in the way that Christ had, uh, in the way that Christ did. Um, and so now looking, uh, to continue looking at Titus 3, verse 8, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And hopefully, at that point, you notice a, a slight shift in uh, in Paul's letter here. So he, uh, going from 3 to 7, and then uh, at verse 8, he moves from a focus on soteriology or, or the, the doctrine of salvation, like how, um, how one can be saved, to now make a point. And he's, building, he's doing so, uh, building this on a principle of causality, like cause and effect. Uh, so because we are justified by the grace of God, uh, uh, as we saw in verse 7, by the grace of, of Jesus Christ our Savior, he says, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to do what? To devote themselves to good works. So my aim here is to build a case that for the Christian, God's most basic will for our lives is to do good works. Why? Because these things are excellent and profitable for people, as it says in the latter half of verse 8. And all people, right? Like not just believers, but for people, all people. Um, and before I do this, I, I, I do want to clarify that um, I'm not saying that by, by God's will being that we do good deeds, I'm not saying that this is how the Christian is saved. Like we are not saved by our good deeds or because of our works of, of righteousness, as verse, as verse 5 says. But rather what I want to do is highlight the fact that when the work of Christ is mentioned, there not, not shortly following after is an urging to do something in response to the truth that we have now come to bear. And so I'm not adding to the gospel or taking away from it. I'm just telling you what, um, what we see in Scripture. Uh, and so anytime an understanding of Christ's redemptive work in the New Testament is mentioned, not long after there is a call to do something in response to the truths that we've just learned. Um, so if you're a little uncertain about this, we'll look at where, uh, where else this is repeated in Scripture um, and, and where these things are repeated. Uh, so... Um, Going back to Acts 10, uh, where we um, use a little bit of to, to start, uh, we were in 1038. If you'll look at verse uh, 42, it says, And he, uh, Peter again referring to Jesus, commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So, Acts 1038, we learn more about Jesus' ministry, why he was here, what he came to do. Uh, his purpose, verse 42, there's a command to do something. And specifically, it was to preach and testify that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And what else? To continue. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
So we see it again. Okay, where else? Um, Ephesians 2.8. And, and uh, just as I read these things, you don't have to flip like crazy to, to keep up, but I can just read them. Um, but Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. So again, we have, uh, we have redemptive work of Christ, what he does for us. What follows it? Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God created beforehand, that we should walk in them. I'll do one more. Second uh, Corinthians 13, verse 4. Um, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with him, we live with him by the power of God. And then continuing on with the point, verse 5. Test yourselves to see that you are in the faith. Verse 7. We pray that you may not do wrong. That you may not do wrong. Verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And some of you are thinking, like, okay, you made your point, but you never really answered, like, why doing good works is the will of God for my life. Right? So, like, let's, let's address that. Um, someone, uh, I don't remember who, uh, I just remember the quote. Uh, my apologies. Uh, someone once said that, a belief in sound doctrine should always give rise to God-honoring fruit in one's life. And when I heard that, I was like, yeah, this, this is pretty good. I might throw that in there. Um, but, but that still doesn't, that still doesn't give us a sufficient answer. And so, so, so here's mine. Here's my answer. Our good works are the only things that we have to convey to a dying world that we know the one who can save them from their sin and death. Our actions reflect the truth that we genuinely the, our, the actions reflect the truth that we genuinely believe about our lives, about the world, about all of it. Our actions reflect truth of something. So therefore, when we devote our lives to the practice of good works, we are bearing witness. Like we are we are mirroring the life of Jesus Christ, who was and is the greatest good known to man. And no one's doing what he did. Like, like we, don't, we don't see people like Jesus going out to the world and, and, and like it, it's just not natural for someone to go to the shameful or to the outcast or to the morally depraved. Like no one does that. And no one certainly brings them into the fold like Jesus Christ did. But the Christian can. Right? Thomas Briscoe of Southwestern uh, Seminary says this, the practice of good deeds is always, or at least always should be, the logical act, uh, outcome of a true apprehension of the grace of God. And another guy, G. Campbell Morgan, uh, who is actually the predecessor of Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, had this to say. He said, To believe God is good is to believe his word, his revelation of the true order of life. Those who stood on that belief could testify to the power of it in no better way than that of good works, that is, by following a quiet and diligent life of devotion to duty and callings which in themselves were honest. And as always so, there is no more powerful force for rebuking all evil things, whether of conduct or of opinion, than that of the quiet, strong, persistent life of man or woman who goes on from day to day doing the duties of the day well, cheerfully, and with joy. So goodness produces goodness. 
right? And when the hellbound sinner meets the grace of God, then we are all forever changed. And I pray that we may act, in, like, act accordingly, like that we, that we reflect this grace of God that we have been met with. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's, like, that's, that's important. Um, so at this point, we have defined goodness. We have studied goodness in Jesus. We've covered a little bit of it, um, of what the will of God is for our lives to pursue good works. Um, and, um, and next, we will be focusing on um, how, how to pursue this will of God, how to pursue good works. Uh, third point tonight, following God's will. If you would, uh, if you'd like to, you can flip to Micah 6. Uh, Micah's Old Testament book. Um, um, so, um, but we'll, I think we'll be there. Yeah, we'll be there for the rest of the night. Um, for the rest a little bit. Micah 6, uh, verses 6 through 8. It reads, um, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? What shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will, uh, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He is told, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so this right here, um, what, what we just read, this is impossible for the unregenerate man. For the believer, it is essential for following the will of God. And in asking what the Lord requires of us, it is not our offerings, nor our possessions, nor anything that we could give, but rather our hearts and our souls and our devotion. Um, and so we'll break it down, uh, focusing specifically on verse 8. So um, with this, a few subpoints. Following the will of God requires three things. Doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with your God. With each of these, uh, I'll elaborate on a little bit and help define what they mean um, and, and see how we can practically define them. But first, doing justice. What does this mean? Doing justice means to love what is good and to hate what is evil. Um, but it is not just that. So instead of just talking about what is, what is good and what is evil and, and condemning or rebuking or uplifting, it's actually like doing what is good. It, it, is, it means acting in fairness and opposing violence and oppression and slander, right? And, and where else do we see, uh, where else, uh, how else can we, can we support this? Um, uh, feel free to write these down. Uh, please don't flip because you'll, you'll be flipping like crazy. Um, but First Peter 2.15, how are we doing justice? For the will of God, uh, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is the will of God, doing good. Um, well, good could be any, any amount of things, primarily for the Spirit. Um, Titus 2, 
verses 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So with the appearing of the grace of God, we are now being trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Romans 15.1 We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of those who are weak and not to please ourselves. We have an obligation to do justice. We have an obligation to do what is good. Secondly, love kindness. What does it mean? Loving kindness, first and foremost, means following everything up in our acts of justice with graciousness and, and, and forgiveness. So we follow up our acts of justice um, with, with love, with grace, with forgiveness. And this love that we follow it up with is an unconditional love, meaning that there is nothing that no one could ever do to us that would make us love them any less. As Kevin talked about last, uh, last week, Kindness is love in action, and we ought to do this to the extent that Christ actively loved us. And, and we, we, sh- we ought to forgive them to the extent to which we ourselves have been forgiven as Christians, as followers of Christ. What does it look like to love kindness? How do we do it? Second Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Colossians 3.12 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Doing, uh, loving kindness is practicing kindness, humility, meekness, being patient, having compassion, showing compassion. Lastly, John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So, so the way that we love people is the standard by which people, the, the outside world, the secular world, world, can know whether or not we belong to Christ. Make every effort to do that. And lastly, walking, uh, walking humbly with your God. Um, Frank Barker uh, out of Birmingham, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, he said um, walking humbly ultimately means being careful to live the way your God wants you to. How is this done? This is only done once we recognize that our relationship with God is made entirely out of grace built entirely of, of pure grace that we don't deserve. And so, Matthew twelve fifty, um, continuing this trend of humility, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother, meaning that the opposite of that, if we do not follow the will of God, that we are not Jesus' brother or sister or uh, mother, um, so, so allowing humility to char- characterize your life, knowing that we don't deserve what we now have. First Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. How are you sanctified? 
by humility, by recognizing the fact that, that we are, are faulty people, that we are sinful people, um, that we mess up, and that we have to do things that, that sometimes chisel away at, at what we love most dearly, um, but ultimately growing us more and more into the image of God. First Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Walking humbly with your God is, is, is one that first and foremost recognizes that, that we are sinners that have been saved, that we get to know the creator of the universe. And for that, we have ample cause to rejoice. Right? Like, like whether it is suffering or whether it is temptation or trial or a hard week, we know that it is not going to last too long. Uh, it is not eternal. Um, so rejoice always, pray without ceasing, be in constant communication with the Father. And, um, and I'll close with this. So, following the will of God does not mean that we will be immune to suffering. If anything, it probably means that uh, we'll, we'll be more acquainted with it. So, like, and why I say that is because Jesus followed God's will perfectly and got sent to the cross, right? Like, like he was sent to the cross for following God's will. And if we truly desire to follow the will of God in all things, then this necessarily means that we might have to do things that, that hurt, right? Like it means that we might have to do things that go against our political ideologies. Oh, no, he's going there. I am. Like, right? Like we have to do things that, that go against the norms of our cultural settings, we may have to protest racial injustice, as we should, or work toward healing the political divide, as we should, or even rebuking offensive jokes that our friends make, as we should. And let me pause right here for a second, and, and man, like, <laughs> if you are someone who if you're someone who struggles with same-sex attraction, or if you are a person of color, or if you are politically left, and I am so sorry for how the, the Christian church seems to be um, publicly addressing you as people. Right? Like these three things have become the most, politi- uh, the most politicized things and, and controversial things to talk about inside the church, and I'm absolutely sick of it. Right? Like, Last year, um, Aaron uh, Wine was preaching uh, in one of our services, and he said, he said, what we hear from the pulpit is what the congregation thinks is okay to struggle with. And we're not talking about these things. We just, we don't. Like, they're, they're like taboo, and they're controversial. And, and I understand that there is wisdom in that. But, but man, like, like when, when, either, when either of these things are, are mocked or scorned, by us as believers, we are hindering like confession and, and sentencing those who, whose most basic desire is to have a family or to be treated as an equal or to vote their conscience. Like we, we, are, we are sending them off into isolation and shame, and that should not be the case. Like as God's people, we should be the most welcoming people on the face of the planet. And, and, and if you do struggle with same-sex attraction or, or political ideologies that are not popular for the church, or if, you, uh, or if there has been like, um, 
yeah, if, if you have experienced racism, man, like, like you, should not have to, you should not have to come into this building and put on a different face, nor any other church. Like you should not have to be something different when you are with God's people, when you are with the body of Christ. And if you have felt less than because of a joke or because of a debate, and I am, I am so, so sorry. I really am. And if you are, and if like, you're the one that's doing these jokes or, or debating poorly um, and slandering others because of what they do or believe or antagonizing, man, like, like let's get it out. Seriously. Like, I, by God's grace, I don't think that this is a prevalent issue for Lakeview. Um, I don't think that um, this is an, uh, a prevalent issue for our church, but I do still hear it. And I want it to stop. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of Christians who are supposed to follow the will of God in doing good works, reflecting imago Dei. Like we, are, we are mirrors of the one whom we believe in and whom we have our faith in and the one who saved us from hell. And, 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 and we hate so easily. And we tear down so easily. And too often when these issues are debated by believers, um, I'm appalled by what I see. Bitterness and frustration are bad looks for the believer. It is not a good look for the follower of Jesus Christ. And this is not the definition of of love that I see in 1 Corinthians 13. And, And... like please, like please hear my heart on this. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to to condemn or or come at anyone. Um, and I'm not trying to say this, like, yeah, out of anger. Like, I, I love y'all, and I want us, I want us to to bear a, a a true and honorable witness of Christ. So as Christians, we are called to go to the hard places, not just geographically, but also ideologically. The, there, there is a goodness that, that characterizes Jesus, this goodness that we have learned of. It characterizes Jesus because he obeyed the will of God even unto his own death. And his whole life he was beaten and mocked and scorned and despised and rejected. But also notice this, never once did that hinder him from going to those who experienced the exact same things. If we are to be a church that loves well, then we must be prepared to follow in his footsteps in full obedience, in full conformity to his will, knowing that, that we might get called to places that we don't want to go. We might get called to, to a people group, to an ideological setting that we don't want to go and entertain uh, thoughts that we don't want to entertain. Charles Spurgeon once said, it is the holy and stated purpose of the Father to make his dear children as much like Christ as possible. If goodness is the term that described or that describes what happens when a holy person acts in a righteous way according to the will of God, then the life of Christ is ours to follow. And that carries a lot more implications than what we think it does. Um, and so I, I pray that I pray that we can just 
reflect on those things. Um, I pray that we can be a church that loves well. I really do. I want to see people who have been burned by the church come in here and feel welcomed and loved. I want them to be known. Like, I want us to know their names, to befriend them. The only way that the gospel goes forward um, is by breaking out of our little bubbles and, and, and going to those who, who don't know Jesus. Um, and, I, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Um, Christians are not Christ. The believer is not Jesus Christ. Um, he, is, he is far more worthy of praise than, and, and adoration than, than we will ever be. Um, and, and he has to be the central focus of everything that we do. Um, yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for us. And, and we can uh, close in the last song. Lord God, um, out of your kindness, you have made us in your image. We are mirrors and reflectors of you. And with that comes a great responsibility to faithfully bear witness to your name and to live a life that that Christ did, one that um, draws sinners back to your own heart. We are your ambassadors. May we be faithful to adhere that call May we be faithful to pursue good works, not as a means of, of salvation, not as a criteria for it, but as a means to, to place a rock in someone's shoe and allow them to, to just ponder, like, why, why we do the things that we do. Um, Father God, like there, there, there is so, there is so much in our own lives, so much sin and brokenness in our own lives that we oftentimes don't see. Um, and I pray that you would just reveal that to us. I pray that you would remove anything that hinders us from fully abiding by your will. That you would give us a greater love for yourself, that we may be uh, transformed and, and daily renewed by the Holy Spirit into your likeness. It's in your name I pray. Amen.